This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listener discretion is advised, as this content is intended for adult audiences only. Hidden Signal Q-Code presents Hidden Signal, Mercury in Retrograde. I suppose there are bad breakups. And then there are breakups that result in experimental devices being implanted in your brain. This might seem dramatic, and certainly it was, but breakups can be quite dramatic too. After Maverick was dumped, it rained for three days straight, as if even the gods were saying, We're sorry, we thought he was different. She is not the kind of person who normally goes around claiming the weather, revolves around her love life, which is to say that she is not unreasonably self-absorbed. But after the first 48 hours of storm clouds, the cosmic timing became hard to ignore. It happened on a Tuesday. She and Henry were laying in bed. She could feel his heart pounding against her back when he cleared his throat. She would later wonder if he chose that moment simply because he didn't have to look in her eyes. She would wonder many things later. She would get her chance to play it all back. Rewind the tape. They made plans earlier that day to grab lunch with her grandma the following week. He told her he loved her after dinner, standing in front of her apartment door, looking like he always did like he had for the last three years. This is what she couldn't get out of her mind, the lack of a warning sign, her total unpreparedness for disaster. That's the real horror story. One day, any day, a person can wake up and just change his mind. Just like that, just like it was nothing. This is what brought Maverick to retrograde. Her therapist suggested it during their last session. The therapist is a kindly, middle-aged woman with graying hair and thick-framed glasses. Sometimes, she reminds Maverick of a caricature of a therapist, both in looks and technique. They only meet virtually via Zoom, so Maverick has never seen the lower half of her body or been granted the chance to scan the spines of the books in the shelf behind her. 
she finds this disappointing. After all, it's only fair she receive a peek into the therapist's interiority, given all she knows about her own. It sounds like this breakup with Henry was your last straw, she said. That's a bit pathetic, isn't it? Maverick tried to force a laugh, but it came out sounding more like a cough. Shouldn't my so-called last straw carry more weight? The therapist rarely reacted to her attempts to introduce levity. I'm not sure you should judge your breakdown on your perceptions of its intellectual or moral merit. She responds plainly. The therapist specializes in psychodynamic theory. She isn't hiding this fact. It says so right there on her website. But she also isn't advertising it openly mid-session. In Maverick's experience, therapists never like to reveal their tactics. Like storytelling, there is a certain suspension of disbelief necessary to participate in therapy. Both patient and clinician must willfully forget the transactional nature of the relationship. Therapy, like prostitution, is a monetary substitution for love and human connection. One receives 45 minutes of uninterrupted narcissism. The other gets cash. The world keeps spinning. Maybe Maverick's therapist was tired of her lack of process, her constant rumination. Or maybe she received some sort of referral bonus for recommending clients. Did it matter? Maverick was desperate. This made her the first person to experiment on. People come to retrograde for one of two reasons. To remember or to forget. Or... As the slogan of the heartbreak department puts it, to remember to forget. It isn't officially called the heartbreak department. Maverick made that name up herself, a private joke between her ego and her id. It's really called the cognitive reframing lab. But everyone in there is heartbroken for some reason or another. Retrograde was founded relatively quietly by an eccentric billionaire. As of today, Maverick is one of only 327 people who knows it exists at all. The honor, or the burden, however you slice it, is due to no prized characteristics in Maverick, nor any technical or experiential knowledge. Her only qualification is that she is strangely heartbroken of the rare breed that does not simply grieve and move on. Everyone knows about Retrograde's parent company, Neuroscience, but no one seems to know anyone who has actually used it. Maverick certainly didn't, not until now at least. But the commercials play on a near constant loop, slick promising, emotionally manipulative propaganda that often succeed in making her cry like any movie that has a dog die in it. The procedure took place last week and lasted less than 45 minutes. 
The device is smaller than the circumference of a dime and thinner by half. The entire surgery was automatized, completed by machines designed specifically for this purpose. They looked to Maverick like claw machines at a boardwalk arcade. Or rather, their talons were needles, and her brain was the needle point her grandma absent-mindedly toyed with while watching TV. Her mind, the sprawling shape of a hydrangea bush. To ease her anxieties, the supervising doctors, two men clothed in such brilliantly white lab coats that Maverick wondered if they were auditioning for a bleach commercial afterwards, performed a demonstration for her. On the table, where her head would soon rest, lay a single green grape. The robots bent over it, carefully peeling back the shiny skin in one fluid motion until the lumpy interior was exposed, naked in the fluorescent light. The doctors looked to her for a reaction, their open palms motioning in her direction, as if to say, see, what did we tell you? The device is entirely safe, the first doctor said. Soon we'll all be walking around with retrograde in our brains. He was clean-shaven, handsome, and young-looking. His black hair was slicked back neatly, and he looked like he might hold a side gig as an Elvis impersonator for weekend bar mitzvahs and discount funerals. She didn't want to be ageist, but she preferred her doctors wrinkled, as if every line of their faces was physical proof of a year of experience. Maverick was not so idiotic as to think a grape is equivalent to a brain, but the theatricality the doctors resorted to did, honestly, comfort her a bit. She nodded approvingly, sensing this is what they wanted from her. The year prior, her roommate and best friend, Grace, had laser eye surgery to correct her vision. The procedures were morally equivalent to Maverick. Both had the potential to drastically improve your quality of life, or reduce it. One could result in blindness, the other in brain damage. But wouldn't it be worth it to wake up with perfect eyesight and an unpolluted mind? At least, this is what Maverick told herself on the walk over. The incision site itched a bit afterwards. There was a strange cooling sensation, too, like a brain freeze after drinking a milkshake too fast. She slept the entire day when she got home. She had the strangest dreams, but couldn't remember the details when she woke up. That was all. Those were her only symptoms the incision mark smaller than a stitch, the recovery period less intrusive than a hangover. We take risks every day. When is the last time you read the terms and conditions before downloading an app? How many times have you breezed through these messages, failed to read the fine print, and said yes, why not? Because who cares? What is one more company tracking my whereabouts? Every struggling creature knows at a certain point the surest chance of survival is to conserve energy and simply surrender. The science is simple enough. 
The implant is essentially a brain-computer interface, BCI, allowing the brain's electrical activity to be paired with an external device. The first major breakthrough involving BCIs occurred about 30 years ago when a company, then a burgeoning social media giant, was able to make a spotted pig play video games with its mind. Once the BCI was determined effective and safe enough, researchers worked to shrink its size and increase its capacity. It became like a second space race. The result was the neuroscience chip, an implanted, enclosed device smaller than a stamp, able to communicate via wireless Bluetooth and attached to micro-scale strands charged with detecting over a thousand neural signals. No other company has come close to this capacity. Of course, it didn't take long for the science to veer toward the dystopian, as with most technologies, the horrors soon butted the wonders. If you can control machinery with your mind, how long could it be until the device becomes less about restoring previous function and more about enhancing it? The natural desire for competition would give the wealthy the potential to become almost superhuman accelerating inequalities based on biological leverage. How long until we had robotic extensions of ourselves? Weapons walking the streets, shooting up the subways. Everyone acted uncharacteristically fast, passing a bill that made it illegal to produce any extension of the technology that created an unfair advantage either intellectually or physically. This brings us back to Maverick. By connecting the chip to a virtual reality simulator, Retrograde is allowing patients to relive a virtual rendition of their memories, to practice new behaviors in a safe environment with the intention of creating real therapeutic change. It might seem silly that such an important invention would be used for heartbreak, but it's easy to imagine the inventors of the Internet must have found themselves in a similarly surprising quarry when they created the most powerful, widely distributed tool to disseminate knowledge, only to realize that what people most wanted to talk about was themselves. On online channels and websites and chat rooms and, eventually, social media, users poured in like a virus to share their opinions, their images, their bodies, their problems, the lumpy chicken salad they had for lunch. And what was the most common fixation? Most populated brag? Deepest complaint? Love. Who has it? Who doesn't? Love, our most animalistic innate urge, the best and worst of us. Memories are like a garden. The introductory video explains in a smooth voiceover. Some flowers need to be planted, cultivated. Others, like weeds, spread if left to their own devices. But ultimately, the ones that flourish are the ones we water. 
The video is projected onto the smooth white wall of the lobby. Maverick can hear the smile in the narrator's voice and imagines the cold set of veneers that no doubt accompanies it. The woman sounds familiar, but she can't place where she knows her from. The words are accompanied by a generic video of multicolored tulips swaying in a breeze, the motion picture equivalent of a stock photo. She was placed here in the lobby about ten minutes ago by the front desk worker and given no instruction but to watch the screen and wait. Here at Retrograde, the voice continues, we help you access these memories, relive them, to create stronger, more productive pathways. To put it simply, we root out those weeds to form a more accurate, cohesive narrative understanding of your life. The lobby of retrograde is clothed in the contemporary aesthetic of the day, white and bright and airy and minimalistic. Light streams in from a large curved window to her left. The ceilings are high and domed like a cathedral. The space is surprisingly long, stretching yards farther than she would have thought possible from the street. There are archways that suggest openness with smooth, round edges and soft, scalloped couches that suggest warmth. The building is located on a nondescript street in Hell's Kitchen, sandwiched between a bodega and a popular bagel chain. The exterior is unremarkable, plain brick facade with a large advertisement concealing the first floor window. On it is the promise of a coffee shop, coming soon. Maverick and 327 other people know the coffee shop will ever come, but the declaration appeases the neighborhood well enough for the time being. Rickety scaffolding hugs half the block, adding an extra layer of concealment. Whether this is by design or sheer luck, Maverick isn't sure. But no one ever stands still long enough to examine the building up close. Above the check-in desk is what appears to be a modern art light sculpture. Maverick stares at it until each time she blinks, she sees the outline of the pink orb burned into her retina, glowing and irreverent like a neon halo. If she didn't know better, Maverick would think she is standing in a high-end co-working space, or a coffee shop teeming with influencers attracted to the pop simplicity. There are thick candles lit periodically throughout that smell like a spa. A small mini-fridge in the corner is filled to the brim with tiny bottles of water and white cardboard boxes like old-school cafeteria milk. It is anonymous and clean, almost sterile, but familiar enough not to be intimidating. To break up the white, there are muted shades of light pink, green, and tan thrown throughout in quasi-inspiring quotes plastered on the walls in bubbly script. To put it simply, it looks like the kind of place you could imagine Gwyneth Paltrow perusing. Tell me, Mary Oliver asks from above the check-in desk, what is it you plan to do with your one wild 
and precious life. Oh, a man's voice appears behind her. I just love that quote, don't you? He claps as he enters the room, one single booming clap. It has the effect of a thunderclap on a beach picnic. Maverick straightens up in her seat. I'm Dr. Thompson. He holds out his hand for Maverick to shake. She complies at once. He reminds her of what her younger self would have conjured as the human embodiment of the giver, which is to say that he looks like a cross between Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. He is indiscriminately old, but healthy-looking, with white hair, remarkably still full and a scruffy beard. He has the jovial smile and whimsy of your favorite art teacher in primary school, but the weather-worn skin and hard-earned command of a unanimously respected professor. He has the affable humor of a tour guide and the charm of a swindler. She likes him almost as instantly as she distrusts him. Come with me, he says. He leads her down a short hallway and into the first door to their right. Dr. Thompson takes a seat at the only other chair in the room. He is wearing plain clothes, navy blue pants, a slightly rumpled button-down, and nice leather shoes, the kind of outfit a middle-aged dad might wear to Easter brunch at his country club. The room they are in is starkly white. The only objects in it are the white couch she sits on and a tan armchair that Dr. Thompson now occupies. There are no sharp objects or edges anywhere, and more notably, no windows. The room is strangely big for how sparsely decorated it is, and the walls look slightly padded, like the soundproofing of a music studio. Before we do anything else, I'm going to give you a brief overview of how this is going to go, Dr. Thompson says. It will consist of five sessions over the course of 12 weeks. We will meet here every third Saturday at 2 p.m. sharp, says Dr. Thompson. Every session will begin with an exercise, and then, once you feel it is complete, we will meet for a typical therapy session to discuss what emotions come up for you, he continues. Unlike typical therapy, there will be no time allotment on these meetings. He smiles as he says this last part. It has a warming but transient effect on his face, like sunlight flashing on stainless steel. Have you ever participated in biofeedback therapy? Maverick shakes her head. I'll walk you through the science a bit more next time we meet. But first, why don't you tell me exactly how things ended with your last relationship? Before she answers him, Maverick finds herself thinking back to the introductory video, the garden analogy. She thinks about how oversimplified it was, like a cautionary children's tale. But then, inevitably, that makes her think of her mom and all of the illusions we come up with to distract from our immense biblical pain. Calling something by a different name does not change what it is. The garden metaphor is flawed. Maverick knows that love cannot simply be yanked by the root and discarded in a nearby bin. The seeds scatter and grow on their own, 
Soon enough, you have a forest dedicated in his name, memorial bench and all, whether you want one or not. She remembers then where she recognizes the narrator's voice from. She heard it once before, on a meditation app she uses when she has insomnia. The woman was lulling Maverick to sleep with her dulcet tones then. Now, she has never felt more awake. When Maverick was sad, her grandma used to say to her, Life can change on a dime. She knew this was true, but only when it came to the bad changes. She didn't expect the good ones, until one day... She met Henry at a random summer house party, and suddenly, she understood. What did she love about him? She loved that the first night they met, he texted his friends, I met my future wife tonight, you guys. Even though they were 19 and drunk and too immature to say words like wife unironically. She loved that when he stretched his legs out, his knees cracked. She loved that he couldn't see first thing in the morning without his glasses. She loved the way he mispronounced the word frustrated, dropping the first R, and that no matter how many times Maverick teased him for it, he never corrected it and never stopped saying it either. She loved how chivalrous he was to her grandma, who she had lived with full-time from 16 years old through her college years. She loved that when she told him about her past, her childhood, he listened and didn't say anything until she was finished, not even sorry. He just kissed the back of her neck and said, You're a warrior. And suddenly, she didn't feel so alone. She loved him in all the million details by which she knew him. She loved him even when he no longer wanted her. And that's real love. This was not her first dalliance in the business of people leaving. First, her mom left. Not by choice, but gone nonetheless. She died suddenly and without reason. Her life was an ellipsis that never puttered to a grand conclusion. There wasn't even some massive collision. A truck hitting her in a rain-soaked intersection. Her brain simply gave up. The doctors called it a berry aneurysm, a term that disturbed Maverick even as a teen, so light and fanciful. The world ended on a random Tuesday in April. The sun was hot and bright. The air smelled of spring. Easter was two days away. The cause of death was compared to a fruit. Maverick was 16. Then, her dad next, in a series of slow losses. He disappeared into himself. Grief closed him off to her little by little until he too was gone. Her grandma saved her. She was the only who stayed, who never left. Even Grace is going now, growing up, which is blameless, but still a loss in itself. She started spending every other night at her boyfriend's, and then it became five nights a week, and now they are moving in together, 
and he is no longer her boyfriend but her fiancé. She didn't mean to leave Maverick behind, but the only times they speak these days are when Grace wants to discuss wedding plans. But Henry? She didn't see Henry leaving. Henry was supposed to stay. Henry had promised, which is exactly why she's here, to do what was once impossible, only theorized, to review the notes, to watch the game back, to relive the memories with a licensed mental health professional, to finally have someone tell her what exactly she is doing wrong. The strongest, most emotionally resonant memories will pull you in first, Dr. Thompson tells Maverick as he paces across the room. Being in retrograde is like falling down the proverbial-looking glass. You make the choice to lean in, but the rest is determined by gravity. In his hands is a headset made of some futuristic plastic material. It looks light and almost soft to touch. When we begin our first simulation, you will have the power to concentrate on where you want to go. But if you lose your focus, if you let your mind drift for even a second, you might end up elsewhere. Memory coding is complex, and there is no telling what could trigger you from one moment to the next, so be careful. He looks grave. Maverick sinks in her seat a bit, like she has already failed him. Part of what we're doing here is studying how memories relate to other memories, what makes one moment stronger than the other. Your participation in this trial is an enormous contribution to human history. His eyes have the burning glow of a zealot. What do you mean? Maverick interrupts him. How are you collecting this data? Not to worry. We're only measuring your vitals. Just some raw emotional data about how certain neurochemicals are responding to specific encounters and flashbacks. She suppresses the urge to run by crossing her legs tighter and tighter, sitting on her hands until she can see the skin beneath her fingernails lose color. All right, so... We are already connected to the device via Bluetooth, so as soon as you put the headset on, we can begin. Are you ready? Maverick eyes the headset warily. She has an instinct to touch the top of her scalp, rub her thumb along the tiny incision mark. I think so, but do you mind if I stretch my legs first and use the restroom? Of course. Dr. Thompson replies, I'll show you the way. His voice is measured, but there's a flash of something like impatience in his eyes. He adjusts the crisp button down he's wearing, smoothing an invisible crease. He opens the door for her and gestures down a long strip of hallway to the right. The walls are made of exposed brick, and the lights are dimmed. It looks more like a hotel than a medical facility. She walks down until she reaches the bathroom door. She looks behind her shoulder to see if he's still watching her. He's not. The door next to the bathroom is open, and Maverick can hear a slow, whirling sound. As quietly as possible, she peeks her head inside. The room is dark 
except for the glow emitted from a wall of television screens lined up in rows of five. As Maverick's eyes adjust to the change in light, she sees that underneath the screens lay a series of hospital beds. Beneath layers of cotton blankets are patients, so still as to look asleep, with the same goggles Maverick was about to put on. She knows, without needing to read the name on the door, that this is the Alzheimer's unit, neuroscience's most anticipated clinical trial due to be released to the commercial market in the next 10 years. She knows this because her therapist told her that if she participated in retrograde, her grandma would be enrolled as soon as she completed her last session. She knows this because it's her last chance to not be utterly alone. The ventilators continue to exhale their rhythmic pattern. Maverick stares at them, thinking about Grace and Grace's fiancé who kisses her on the forehead before he leaves for work in the morning. Her grandma, who keeps calling her by her mother's name. Henry, who abandoned her when he said he wouldn't. Her dad, who never calls. Her mom, whose number still goes to voicemail, who will forever go to voicemail. The knots in her stomach tighten. She's filled with a sort of lurching dread, like staring off the ledge of a high cliff. A wave of vertigo hits her, and for a moment, it feels as if all of the planets are moving in reverse. Dizzy, she turns her back on the screens, and without once looking back around, re-enters the trial room. Despite the new curious tilt in the universe, she only stumbles once. Hidden Signal, Mercury is in Retrograde is narrated by Mara Schuster-Lefkowitz, written by Kylie Letty, directed by Lawrence Zanelli, executive produced by Rob Herding, Sandra Yi Ling, and Shin Yin Hee Yu. Co-producers, Lawrence Zanelli, Sarah Ma, and Tom Breck. Original score and composition by Darren Johnson. Audio engineering and editing by Sarah Ma. Script supervisor, Tom Breck. Special thanks to Jack Friedman and Nick Shanks. This podcast was recorded under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. Hidden Signal is a Q-Code production. Sound recording copyright 2023 by Q-Code Media Inc. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. 
Everyone needs a break from the real world. That's why we played games as kids, and that's why we should play games as adults. I'm Troy Lavalley. And I'm Joe O'Brien. And back in 2015, we started a podcast called The Glass Cannon Podcast, a show made up of comedians and actors playing a fantasy role-playing game. And now is the perfect time to start listening because we just started a brand new story. It's basically Lord of the Rings meets Game of Thrones meets X-Files. Search for The Glass Cannon Podcast on your podcast app of choice. Hey, life is hard, so come play pretend with us.